2: schedule. He is Rod, I am Cameron, and we are back after a long layoff uh, for MSU. Um, it, it will be close to 11 days, um, Rod, and they come in facing Oakland at the uh, Little Caesars Arena in, um, what, Greg Campy's 37th year, I think, with Oakland. Uh, That's crazy. Yeah. yeah.
1: Third, third longest tenure of any uh, Division One head coach, and I believe Shashevsky's well, one of the two. So next year, assuming Campy comes back, um he'll move to number two. I can't remember who the other person is on that list. I had Is it Balheim Bol- right or Syracuse? Uh, it might be Bay That's good. That's a good yeah, that, you're probably right. Yeah. Now now all of Campy's tenure is not D one. He was the guy um who I believe created the program in Oakland. Before they were a D1 school, and then has obviously brought them into the D1 era. Long tenure, been to the NCAA tournament three times, which, you know, considering he spent his entire career in one bid leagues, um, that's not bad. Yeah, and and, you know, I think I think sometimes people there's I I get the sense at least that there's occasionally this feeling that at least over the last ten years, let's say, that he's underachieved a little bit, but um, I don't feel that way. I mean, I think he's done a hell of a job. You know, he brought that. The thing is not only to bring them to D1, but actually to move them up a level. They started their D1 tenure in the summit and a few years ago with as a function of conference realignment moved up into the horizon, which, you know, has in turn lost some members over the years. The horizon isn't what it was, you know, six, seven years ago, but it's still a pretty good mid-major league and um i think he deserves a ton of credit i think he's done a great job uh he's done it with a lot of michigan kids actually a lot of mid-michigan kids in particular there's only one this year but um you know over the course of time some of their best players have been from places like Okamas and dewitt mm-hmm. uh the lansing schools uh like lansing sexton um so i think uh and everett too so i think uh i think I, I think Greg Campy's a really good coach I think he's done a nice job and It looks like he's got a pretty good team this year
2: Yeah uh, They come into this one 7-3 and three overall 2-0 and oh in the horizon um, They've got some wins over Oklahoma State And Toledo by 21 uh, And they've got a, a Really close competitive loss to West Virginia um, And really the only disaster was a blowout loss To Alabama uh, But Alabama's turned out to be pretty good So
1: Yeah, that's not that's not something you look at as a big negative. I think Mm -hmm. the fact that they beat Oklahoma State, they beat Toledo by more than MSU did. Now, you got to be you can only take those things so far, but um, they did beat Toledo by 21. I think MSU won by 13
0: Mm
1: -hmm. uh, when they faced them. Um, Their losses, as you said, close game to West Virginia blowout to Alabama, which is there's no shame in that. And then a one point loss in their most recent game against Bowling Green. Now you mentioned the layoff for Michigan State. I believe Oakland has been off two days longer than MSU. So neither of these teams are coming in, you know, off the back of of many recent games. The the positive side from an MSU perspective, uh, I don't know about Oakland. We'll see. Is that as we've been talking about for a while, they've had these op this opportunity now to work on themselves. You know, Izzo has mentioned. They've had a, a couple of these days recently. They've actually had two a days. Oh wow! So they've gotten a lot of practices in. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see what we are able to tell. You know, you're always in this situation. It's always a a, a two edged sword because on the one hand, you say, well, it's great to have the time off. You know, maybe rest if anybody's got any you know, lingering injury and Michigan state certainly didn't have anything serious, yeah. um, but it's always good to have that opportunity. And as we say, to work on yourself without having to spend all that time game planning, which is so often the case during the, the bulk of the season, you know, you don't have a lot of time to just, Hey, let's work on us. You got to be preparing for your next opponent and Michigan state as much as anybody, I think in the country is, is very, very serious about their game planning. Mm-hmm. The amount of film that players are expected to watch, the way opponents are broken down and scouted, I think time has demonstrated they take it very seriously. So to have that opportunity to just work on your own development for, for a minute is a, a blessing. It's a really big deal. The other side of it, though, is that you've had all this time off, and Michigan State was playing pretty well. Yeah. When they went into this break, so you wonder how much sharpness they may or may not lose uh, as a result of this time off. As I say, the, the the good news here is that Oakland's dealing with exactly the same thing, but maybe even a couple of days longer. Mm-hmm.
2: And very quietly, Michigan State has crept into the top eleven <laughs> nationally, due in large part to other people losing um, during the time off. But
1: top top ten in the coaches poll, 10, okay, and, and eleven in AP, yeah. yeah. Um, And and consistently, you're seeing them in the top ten to. I think Ken Palm is the lowest I've seen in any system. They're number twenty, if I remember correctly.
2: Yeah.
1: Um. Which uh, Ken Palm is still working through. Michigan's at eighteen to put it in a perspective.
2: Yeah, six and four. Ken Palm
1: is still kind of flushing the preseason stuff out of the system, and as we've talked about here before, I don't really give it. Um, full, full credence, even though we use the numbers a lot, uh, as we will in a second. But uh, mm-hmm. I don't give it full credence until we really get through this month and back into conference play. And I think that's when you start to flush the last effects of of the preseason stuff. But in all the systems, Torvik and NET, which is the most important one for, for NCAA tournament purposes, Michigan State is consistently – a top 10 to top 20 team pretty much everywhere.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: Uh, So you look at um, Oakland, uh, 119 overall in Ken Palm, um, 164 on offense, 84 on defense, which is a little bit of a flip-flop from where they normally are.
1: Right. If you think about Oakland teams in recent years, at least what I think about is offense. Mm-hmm. They're usually teams that have it, it, on some occasions, they've had a really, really potent score. Um, you think back, of, God, probably two, three years ago. Now they had Kendrick Nunn yeah. transferred in from Illinois and then was just sensational as in the NBA, um, you know, uh, Khalil Felder a few years before that uh, the little point guard who also did some time in the NBA and was a great score at Oakland you know, they've had great shooting teams for the most part, and they were teams that tended to play fast. Defense was the issue. This year, a little bit of a flip-flop in that. They're not they're not great defensively, but, you know, 84 is, is pretty good for that program, whereas the offense is not up to, to usual standards. So a little mm-hmm. bit of a different look from Oakland.
2: Yeah, the offense, they've really struggled from three, 25%. Uh, which is like 347 in the country. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's,
1: it's about as bad as you're going to see.
2: Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> two from two, they're decent. 70th in the nation. Free throw shooting is not bad, 77 percent. Um, and turnovers, 19 uh, percent turnover rate, uh, which is kind of middling. Um, and the offensive rebounding is 140 in the country.
1: Yeah, I, I think what what really hurts them. And is responsible for that offensive efficiency being where it is. It's that they're not great with the turnovers, but it's it's really and and they're not a great offensive rebounding team. But it's really the three point shooting. Yeah, it was just dragging them down. I mean, when, and they shoot a lot of them. So when you shoot a lot of them and you're not hitting, well, you're going to be an inefficient offense, <laughs> and that's essentially where they are. And I think, you know, I, I can understand the frustration that Campy must have with it because he's got. Some of these guys, you know, his point guard in particular is a guy who has shot the three pretty decently in his career. He's not shooting it decently this year. So he's he's got some guys that would seem to be underachieving in terms of their deep shooting, but it, it has really affected them offensively and it's been a problem.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, on defense, they're a bit better, 84, um, and they've sort of been playing uh... – Shifting zones, one three one or a two three, um, which yeah. is forced turnovers. Fifty eighth in the country in turnover percentage and three point defense. Uh, they're only giving up twenty seven percent.
1: Yeah, and they really struggle though against twos, and they are a t- truly terrible defensive rebounding team. So here's the thing: I, the zone has worked. I mean, Izzo talked about it in his press conference the other day that. It's you know sometimes it's a one three one sometimes it's a two three and then I think he said something about sometimes it's a junk defense that I'm not even sure campy knows what it is. <laughs> um, that was the line. I'm paraphrasing, but that's pretty close. Uh, and it's it's working, but there's a I, I'm I'm suspicious in this sense. They are giving up a lot of three point attempts the percentage they're surrendering, as you mentioned, is really, really low. So they've they've done an outstanding job or they've had outstanding results is a better way to put it. My suspicion about that, though, is we know that if you're looking at three-point shooting as a defense, you really can't focus too much on the percentage because that, to some extent, is not a sustainable number. There's some luck involved with that. If you're a good three-point defense team usually what that means is you're limiting attempts and they're not they're giving up a lot of three-point attempts teams just haven't had success with it um so i'm not sure i trust that that's going to stay where it is right now i'm i would be a little more worried if i were an oakland fan about our defense against twos which you know is we said is really struggling and then the defensive rebounding is just abysmal That's not a surprise. Normally, teams that are zone-dependent are going to give up a lot of second chances, and they are. They're one of the worst in the country. So, if you start looking at this matchup, and we're going to get into this a little bit more as we go, but think about Michigan State, okay, a team that certainly has been turnover-prone, and Oakland has generated a lot of those. So, you could say that's the problem from a Michigan State perspective, but This is a very, very good three-point shooting team that we've seen develop. They move the ball well. That's an important thing against the zone. And they're a pretty good offensive rebounding team. Those things all add up to me to be problematic for Oakland in this matchup.
0: Mm.
1: At least they could be.
0: Um,
2: So their starters, Jalen Moore, 5'11", junior. He scored 26 against MSU last year. Yeah, um, He's averaging 13.7 points, 31 from the floor, only 22% from 379 from the line.
1: Yeah. Um, and the other thing is, you know, he's, he's kind of the poster boy of where I sometimes, sometimes talk about, where a guy is really dynamic, meaning he makes a lot happen, both for himself and for teammates, but he's not efficient. He's averaging 6.9 assists per game. Well, that's a, that's a really good number. But he's also averaging five turnovers a game. Yikes! That's a very, very, very poor number. So Moore is—he's very quick. Uh, we saw last year he gave Michigan State a lot of problems. Uh, he's been a better shooter than he's been in the past than he has been this year. I mean that that three point shooting percentage is a real problem. Mm. You know, when when that guy is taking as many as he is, and he's shooting twenty two percent that's going to cause a problem. The turnovers, obviously a big problem when it's a point guard that's committing five of them a game. I mean, that is just an astronomical number for an individual. Uh, So, you know, you kind of, he's the definition in some ways of a a player who giveth and a player who taketh away. (laughs) He's going to, he's going to do some things in this game for sure. He's going to make some plays, but I think he's also going to make a lot of mistakes and, It'll be interesting to me, the Michigan State matchup. You know how uh, how Tyson Walker can defend him. I think will be key, and I, I would expect that he will do a very good job against Moore. Yeah. But physically, this is a matchup that you look at and think, "Hey, Tyson Walker is built for this," you know. And then Hogard is the backup. Might um, might have a little bit of problems with Moore's quickness, uh, but physically. With his strength advantage and size advantage, that may help him. Mm-hmm. Uh, Moore's never coming off the floor. So he's the guy. I think he's averaging more than 38 minutes a game. So you're going to see a lot of him, as I say. I think he'll do. He'll get some things done, but he'll also make some mistakes. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, and then Micah Parrish, 6'6", sophomore. Uh, he was a consistent starter last year. He's averaging 8.4 points a game. Uh, which is roughly where he was last year, forty percent. But again, twenty-two percent from three, eighty-two from the line.
1: Yeah, and yeah. better than six boards a game. Yeah, he's a you know he's not real. It's interesting because Campy's program when I when I think about what he's done, he's typically had a I would say more of a guard-oriented program. He's had some bigger players that have flourished, but for the most part. Their stars have been point guards or wings over the years, over the last 20 years. That's not this team. You know, Parrish is nominally a guard on this team, but he's really more of a forward. And the three-point shooting kind of tells you that. He's one of the in-state kids. He's from River Rouge. uh, So you would expect he'll be motivated. Um, You know, does some good things. But, again, that deep shooting is a problem. Mm -hmm. Uh,
2: And then, Trey Townsend, 6'6", sophomore, um, also a starter last year. He's averaging 13.3 points a game, 49 from the floor, 16 from three, 67 from the line, and he's grabbing six and a half boards a
1: player, Good player. You know, I, I'm impressed with him and with Parrish, too. I think they're both good. You know, I, I listed them both as sophomores, but the truth is because last year was a COVID year, they, they may actually be freshmen. Mm-hmm. So in terms of how much more time they've got to play at Oakland, so these are guys that definitely could be part of the core for a while here. And I do like Townsend's game; he's a little stronger than Parrish, so I think a little more of a forward yeah. with this group. But um, again, the the lack of a consistent jumper has been a little bit of a problem. But he does other things well.
2: Yeah, he leads them in shot blocks one one point four a game.
1: Yeah. Yep. Yeah.
2: Uh and then Jamal Kane, six eight senior transfer from Marquette. Uh he's having a great season, averaging twenty-one point two points a game, ten and a half rebounds on fifty-two, twenty-seven, and eighty-seven from the line.
1: Yeah. Uh you know, Greg Campy has proven to be very successful in the transfer market and long before the portal loosened things up. And it's exactly the kind of profile for the most part that Jamal Kane fits into. He's had a lot of guys. If you remember um, the walkers uh, who had played at Texas and Iowa state originally, and then came home uh, who were from Detroit a few years ago. Uh, we mentioned the kid from Illinois um, that, that came in and just lit it up for them. Uh, Kane is another example of that kind of player guy who was from the Detroit area. I think he's from Pontiac originally went to Marquette certainly was a contributor there. Didn't have a bad run, but was never really a star has come home and just been sensational for them this year. You know, he's far and away their key guy offensively He's averaging a double double. This team is so we're going to get into this in a, a moment here one of the interesting things to me is you know jamal kane when he came out was kind of a guy that people thought could play some four but would also play some on the wing he's playing a lot of five on this team Mm. i mean they are just they just do not have any size and so he kind of has to play that five spot and this is i think the zone stuff we talked about it's worked to an extent for oakland defensively but i I don't know if the reason, the motivation to go that way has been as much, well, we think this is a a way we can actually win versus this is what we have to do to survive Mm -hmm. because we just don't have any sides. Uh, When Jamal Kane is playing a majority of his minutes at the five, that tells you something.
2: Yeah, and he he does have a a weakness, only four assists to 28 turnovers.
1: Yeah, that's a, a one to seven. (laughs) <laughs> Negative ratio. You know? That's a big problem. You know, again, this team, we talk about the turnovers they force, and that's great. And certainly Michigan State's own problems would lead one to conclude you got to be careful,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? But the flip side of it is Oakland has made a lot of mistakes in their own right. Yeah. And it's their two best players. It's Kane and Moore who are, have really been a key part of the problem. So when two guys that you're you're putting the ball in their hands and asking them to do as much as they ask those guys to do, and they make those that level of mistake, well, that's that's going to put your offense where their offense is. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, and then they got Chris Conway, 6'9", 230 hundred and thirty pound freshman, um, averaging just just over a point a game, just under a rebound in about eight minutes.
1: Yeah, they, they basically start him, and then he'll come in for one more turn in the game, and that's it. So he's a starter, but uh, nominally so. You know, This is a this is an, uh, another one of these Ironman teams that we've been seeing a lot of this year uh, in terms of Michigan State opponents. The other four starters besides him are averaging more than 33 minutes a game, so 33 minutes or more per game. So once again, Michigan State facing a team that's at the very, very bottom. In terms of percentage of minutes played by by the reserves, mm.
2: uh, and then off the bench, Zion Young, six four guard, seven point four points a game in about fourteen minutes, and he's just recently back from injury.
1: Yeah, um, important that they've gotten him back because that does lengthen the bench a little bit. But again, not much size. He's a wing, really, on know, six four.
2: Uh, and then Blake Lampman, 6'3", sophomore from Hazlitt, averaging 4.8 points a game, 36 from the floor, 38 from 3 and 50% in about um, 16 minutes.
1: Yeah, he's a guy who fits their profile uh, historically pretty well. Played a Hazlitt, so another big michigan school. Good three-point shooter. Um you know, a guy who maybe the reason he's at an Oakland as opposed to a higher level, maybe not quite as gifted athletically as most time major guys. You know, 6'3", he's got decent size, not great. Um, but it, I, I would expect that Lampman, before he's done, will make some really good contributions to this program because he he does fit the profile of guys that Campy has been able to win with. Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: and then say Price, 6'5", freshman, Two point eight points a game, thirty six from the floor, twenty four from three seventy five, uh, from the line in about eighteen minutes.
1: Right, and another wing, a young guy that they're playing a fair amount. Uh, but you, you see, you see the issues. I mean, it's a lot of six three to six six guys, mm-hmm. and and that's just sort of where it ends. You know, just not a lot of size.
2: Uh, and then Will Shepard, a eight freshman. Shepard's uh, just under a point a game, under a rebound in three minutes. So not a ton of time for him.
1: Yeah, the only reason I, li- he's played in nine of their 10 games, and I list him because of that. And also because I do think in a game against a Michigan State with as much size as they've got, we might, I just have a hunch, we might see a little more of him than we've seen mm-hmm. to date. But regardless, he has not played a, a
2: big role. Okay. Well, uh, for the keys, Rod, the number one key zone execution. We haven't seen a whole lot of zone this year, so this will be a good test. And the times that they have seen it, Malik Hall's didn't did pretty well.
1: Yeah, he's been primarily the guy operate when he's on the floor, at least operating in uh, that that middle and that middle gap role, where it's so important to have somebody who can truly be a triple threat, and he is that because he can hit that shot. He's a good passer and he can also go off the dribble if that opportunity presents itself. And he's and he's got a good sense, it appears to me of making decisions as to which of those options to go with in any given moment. Mm-hmm. Um, as I mentioned, there's you can look at this in a couple different ways. One way is that Oakland has generated a bunch of turnovers playing zone. And sometimes zone teams are able to do that if they if they play a little aggressively, uh, they get in passing lanes, you know. Make themselves make it tough to to pass the ball. You can generate some giveaways, and that's what Oakland has done. So against Michigan State, well, Michigan State's had problems in that area. So looking at it through a Spartan prism, that's what you're worried about.
0: Mm.
1: On the other hand, as I mentioned, Michigan State is generally a pretty good passing team, and they've been a pretty good shooting team. Those are things that should be there in this game. It's going to come down to execution, either passing the ball into the gaps or dribble penetration into the gaps and I think that um, both of Michigan state's point guards actually are pretty well suited to doing that in different ways with Walker. It's more about speed with with Hogard. It's um, his strength to maybe get into those gaps and and kind of ward off defenders with his body. Yeah. Uh, but decision making is going to be important. And obviously, you're going to need to cash in the three point looks that you get. Michigan State has shot the ball very, very well since the beginning of the season. They had about a three or four game low in the beginning. And ever since, they've been really, really dialed in. That's going to be important. But I also think it's going to be important to not just settle. Mm-hmm. You know, the opportunities should be there. Oakland gives up a very very high percentage against them from 2. So when opponents are breaking the zone down, they're having a lot of success which stands to reason if you can force a zone to to uh contort, to lose its shape. And and that by that I mean collapsing on a player say in the in the middle of the lane, it's usually a very very easy shot opportunity that presents itself at the basket. So if they can force Oakland to collapse there should be really really good opportunities around the rim mm-hmm.
2: uh and then the second key is turnovers
1: well yeah we just we just talked about it you know from a michigan state perspective you worry about it because they've had problems even against teams at times even against teams that don't pressure well this is a team that has been pretty good in forcing mistakes so you worry about it from that perspective. But that's not the whole story because Oakland, as we've, as we've detailed, has had its own problems. Mm-hmm. So as long as there's not a decisive edge of either way, it, it may cancel itself out. Um, but that's that's definitely something to watch for, as it usually is for Michigan State. Uh,
2: and then offensive rebounding.
1: Yeah, they, they are one of the worst defensive rebounding teams in the country, is Oakland. And that's not a, it's not unusual for teams that are zone dependent to struggle um, because it's just harder. It's harder finding a body to uh, to box out if uh, when you're playing a zone because you're playing an area, you're not playing a man. Yeah. Uh, that's true of most zone teams. This team is bad beyond even that. They just really struggle, and I think part of it is the fact that they're playing zone, and part of it is the fact that they have no appreciable size that's playing much. So you put those two things together, and you can have a real disaster on your hands, and they have. So for Michigan State, which is, I would say, a good offensive rebounding team, not a great one, Mm -hmm. certainly not great by MSU standards, but good, uh, there should be a real opportunity to make a in second chances. I mean, if they, if they're not getting a lot of second chance points, that's an issue. Mm-hmm. because everything in the numbers and the styles of play suggests it should happen.
2: Uh, and then pace.
1: Yeah, uh, I mentioned uh, once again, as we've seen several times since especially since we hit December, um, we seem to have this flurry of opponents. Uh, we saw it with Toledo. We saw it with Minnesota and and really even Penn State, and now we're seeing it yet again. You're looking at a team that just has a bunch of Ironmen, four guys averaging 33 minutes or more
0: hmm.
1: per game. And then you go to the bench, and it's, okay, there's two or three guys that are in the low to mid-teens, so and that's really it. So from an MSU perspective, I think a game that is played in transition should cut to their advantage. Because this is not an opponent that, that wants to have to extend their playing group mm-hmm. any more than they normally do, you know. And if, if it's a running game, that's going to make it tougher and tougher to not have to dip into the bench for those minutes.
2: Uh, and then emotion. They'll be at the Little Caesars Arena, which might be kind of cool.
1: Well, it's and it's it's the way that that the series has now evolved. Mm -hmm. Uh, They did. They they were doing this a bit um, at the Palace where they'd alternate between one year at Breslin and one year at the Palace. And since the opening of Little Caesars, it's moved there. I think it's a really good thing, actually, uh, because, look, let's let's be honest about it. No matter where this game, you could play this game at the O arena, (laughs) Oakland's gym, and it would still be a majority Michigan State crowd, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, so just by virtual playing down here does not truly make it a home game, but it is nice for Oakland, but it's really nice for Michigan State. And Izzo's talked about it. He said, you know, likes the idea of playing a game every other year down here because it gives Detroit area fans an opportunity to see the team play in person who might not have that opportunity, um, you know, to, as easily to get to you know, Breslin is from most areas in Metro Detroit anywhere from an hour and a half to a bit over two hours away.
0: Yeah,
1: you know, and in the winter time at night, with you know, a lot of games being at night, uh, that's just not. It's not as easy as saying planning for six or seven football games a year,
0: mm-hmm.
1: whether mostly in the afternoon. You know, it's a different thing. So I think he likes the idea of coming down here and playing, and it also gives a little bit of an element of fairness to Oakland in it. They're not constantly playing in Michigan state's gym. They're yeah. at least nominally in a neutral court environment. But again, you would expect that the crowd is going to be vastly, vastly pro Michigan state, even down here. And, uh, and so that's what I would expect. Um, but, but more than the, where the game is being played, what I'm, what I'm getting at here is all oh, pretty consistently. Oakland is a team that has a fairly heavy representation of Michigan, kids with Michigan backgrounds.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's no different this year. You know, if we say they're an eight man or nine man rotation, um, about half of those guys are from Michigan. Three starters are Michigan kids. And then Lampman uh, and, and there is plays the second most minutes off their bench. Not only is a Michigan kid, but actually grew up in Hazlitt. So I would assume, I don't know this, But I would assume he probably grew up a Michigan State fan. Um, This has been an element that plays out virtually every year in this rivalry. And I know Michigan State has not lost to Oakland yet. I'm not, you know, what as I say that. Uh, But uh, there have been games that have been very, very tough in this series where Oakland pushed Michigan State to overtime or just kept it very close in regulation. And it is a concern every single year for me, and I'm sure it is for Tom Izzo, that when you're playing a school from your state, and which also happens to have a lot of in-state kids playing, the motivation level for those guys is always going to be very, very high.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And this should be no exception. I mean, I'm sure all of these guys, all four of those guys I mentioned, probably feel like they were overlooked a little bit. It was an interesting thing, you know, Jim Camperoni on the Spartan Mag Board, in his discussion about this game, was mentioning that, you know, Jamal Kane had a Michigan State offer and picked Marquette over Michigan State. I, For the life of me, I don't remember him getting an offer.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it, he was talked about for a long time. I don't think he had, if he got one, he must have gotten it very late in the recruiting process at a point where I would think Michigan State had just, you know, already filled up, what have you. Um, I don't remember them being particularly serious about Jamal Kane, even though he was a guy that was talked about as well, maybe he gets an offer. I don't remember it coming. Mm. So if I'm right about that, I would expect that Jamal Kane is going to come into this game with a lot of motivation. <laughs> you know, Parrish, as I mentioned, was from River Rouge. Townsend is from another suburban school. I'm drawing a blank um, at the moment, which one. Um, maybe Novi, I can't remember for sure which school he's from, but again, Michigan kids, and then as I mentioned, Lampman from Hazlitt. These guys are all coming into this, you know, this is the game. I mean, I'm not going to say it's the most important game they play all year because that devalues what their conference is about and games where there's a tournament bid on the line. So let's let's not take it too far, but it is certainly of their non-conference games, it's the one that they always have circled. Mm -hmm. And I I saw quotes this morning from Greg Campy, which Michigan state fans should feel very good about, but I think they also tell you the truth about this. He said that uh, something to the effect of, he knew that this would probably get him in trouble with Michigan fans, but that the reality is over the last 20 years, I I actually think you'd go about 25. um, Michigan state has been the gold standard for college basketball in this state. And so it means a great deal for him to be able to tell the guys he recruits, the guys he coaches, you're going to get an opportunity to play an elite program with elite coaching and elite players every year Mm -hmm. when you play at Oakland. And he's been able to say that. And I think it's helped him. I, I certainly think it's helped him build his program. I'm, I'm of the opinion that, And there can be occasional years where this is not true, you know, here and there. But for the most part, over the last 20 years, the most consistent non-Big Ten program in this state has been Oakland, more so than the three Mac schools, certainly more so than U of D. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think some of that, I would assume, has been fueled by what Campy is talking about here, that uh, he can use it as a recruiting tool you know, say, hey, you're going to, you come here, you're going to get an opportunity to play Michigan State every single year. And that's a big platform and it represents a big opportunity. So that's what you're dealing with. If you're MSU, I'm not going to, you know, go to the cliches. Oh, it's their Super Bowl, all the nonsense that, Mm. you know, some of the, some of the illiterates, basketball illiterates that follow the other big 10 program in the state like to engage in. Um, but I do think it's it's fair to point out how important it is. And so every year to me it's a concern can Michigan State match that.
0: Mm.
1: You know, because it this is not anything resembling a Super Bowl for Michigan State. This is I mean if we're just being honest this is a game you play, you probably know some of these kids cuz you played AAU against them or, you, or or with them. Um you know all that stuff so they know they know some of these guys. Um, but you can't possibly be as motivated as they are; it's mm-hmm. just not possible. So you have to find ways to ride that out. You know, normally that stuff goes away at a certain point in the game. And so, Michigan, if you're Michigan State, that's your goal: you ride that out through the first few minutes, and then from there, you just get down to playing basketball.
2: Yeah. yeah. You know. Okay. Well, uh, any you know final thoughts heading into this one, Rob?
1: Um, big game from the perspective of, as we've been talking about these last couple of weeks, wanting to maintain progress. And there's been real progress. We talked at the outset. Michigan State is now, you know, a top 10, top 15 team by pretty much everybody. Um, and I think you could make an, a pretty good argument. I was listening to another podcast today where they were going through the league. And uh, you, could, you could have some debate over who is actually best positioned to finish highly mm. in the conference. But based upon resume, based upon what each team has done, their view, and I, certainly my view, would be that to date, Michigan State has the second best resume in this conference. Purdue still clearly number one, even with their struggles uh, of late. But Michigan State is behind, is right behind them. Mm-hmm. You know, the only two losses have come to top five teams. Um, and again, I, as we've talked about, I think particularly the Baylor game, you play that game tomorrow, and I think it's a different story. I'm not saying Michigan State wins, but it wouldn't be the blowout that it was. Yeah, In, in a different situation, not playing the third game in three days, you know, a lot of different elements there at, at work. I think Michigan State makes that a much closer game uh but you you only those are your only losses so those are those are such good opponents that they don't even really they almost don't count as losses in the way this stuff is evaluated you know
0: mm-hmm.
1: and then the rest of the schedule has been a pretty good slate of opponents you know yeah butler's not great although they did just come uh come back and beat oklahoma the other day but that was on the road and you smacked them okay well, that's what you're supposed to do. Yeah. You beat Loyola, who looks right on track mm-hmm. to being what was expected as the favorite in the Missouri Valley. Um, you play UConn. UConn, who had a rough week last week, but for the most part this season has been pretty impressive, and I still think they're going to be more likely than not to have a good finish in the Big East.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, Louisville, maybe not the Louisville of old, but um, you know, still an ACC opponent that I... I wouldn't rule out that they're capable of making a run at some point this season. Uh, you know, and then Polito, who's one of the better teams in the Mac. And then you face, uh, you face two big 10 opponents. Granted, not the best big 10 opponents, but you go on the road, you beat Minnesota pretty, pretty decisively. Let them make a run late to make it a little more respectable, but you win it pretty decisively. And then you, you beat up Penn state at home. Mm -hmm. which is, again, what you should do. So MSU has really done a nice job of, I think, doing everything you could reasonably expect them to do. I don't think it was reasonable to expect that they would be ready to beat Kansas in the season opener. And I don't think it was necessarily reasonable to expect that they handle a team that obviously is as good as Baylor has indicated they are, um, in the third game in three days, um, in, uh, in the Bahamas, but everything else, they've, you know, they're, they're where you would want them to be. And at the same time, what's been really encouraging from an MSU perspective is I think they still show so many areas or facets of this team where there was room to get better. Yeah. Right.
2: Yeah. That's the scary thing about it. it yeah, right. There's a, a large ceiling still.
1: And that's why, you know, again, I was listening to this other discussion and I won't, I won't name the podcast, but, you know, there was a, there was a comparison to Illinois and the fact that, well, Michigan state has a better resume to date. So you'd have to say on the basis of what's actually been done, they're the second best team, but, you know, I like Illinois a little bit more because I I understand where those arguments would come from. Mm -hmm. I just don't agree with them. Um, you know, Michigan State is, I think, a team that still has a high ceiling for growth, but yet we've also seen enough. I think to feel pretty good that there's kind of a floor that's been established. Uh-huh. Like, look, even on a night where shots—and it's going to happen at some point—where shots aren't falling the way they have been. You know, maybe there's a few too many turnovers. But you know that Michigan State's going to defend. Mm-hmm. You know it. Yep. And that alone gives you that that floor that all right, this, this team might have rougher spots here and there, but that defense is probably gonna put them in a position where they're there to compete, you know, ninety some percent of the time. You might have the occasional clunker. But, yeah. but not frequently. Like
2: a three- or four-game slid, slide is probably
1: not in the cards for them. Probably, probably not because um, because of that, because that defense is going to be there. And, you know, that was something. Last year's team was okay by most program standards defensively, but it wasn't by Michigan State standards. Uh-huh. This team is. This team is where you expect better MSU squads to be. Top ten-ish you know, on defense, and fully capable of locking teams down for stretches. I mean, that's the thing. This isn't just a team that's just kind of grinding and hoping to survive. No. They will go out there and go through stretches where they simply are not going to give you anything clean. Mm -hmm. You will get no clean look. You know, you will think you might have something, and then a Marcus Bainham just erases it. (laughs) Or, or, or Gabe Brown or Max Christie or Uh, Jay Nakins, you know, or you, you may think you've got a cat, you're getting into a casual offensive set and Tyson Walker just steals your lunch money. (laughs) You know, that's, that's what this team has. And so. All of those things are great, right? That there, there's a, I think, a high floor of performance. There's still a lot of ceiling left, and we still don't know just how much better this team can be, but what you and I have spent a lot of time talking about areas that it, it can happen. They get a little better with the turnovers. Um, two point shooting gets a little bit better. Um, Max Christie, Joey Hauser maybe continue to find themselves. Tyson Walker continues to be more and more assertive and continues to settle in to what they need him to be. Um, You know, those things all happen and they're all very, very doable. There's nothing in there. That's a huge stretch. Yeah. Right. Um, But (laughs) all that is great to say. It's all true. You still, you need to get through this one. I think to feel really good about where you are going back in the big 10 play. They've got one more left. They got high point an- another, whatever it is, eight, nine days mm-hmm. uh, from now. And, but that's, that's one at home. You know what I mean? Come on. That's, that's one of these roll the balls out kind of games. Oakland is not that Oakland is a game that yes, of course you should win, but all the reasons we've talked about, they've got some players You know, Jamal Kane is a big 10 level player. Um, the motivation on their side, all of the layoff that MSU's had, all those things are things that you know you need. To, you need to play well. You need to come to play. This is not a roll-out the ball game.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. You know, and, and so it's important. It's important that Michigan State get it in the win column. And just as importantly, from my perspective, and I didn't mention it as one of the keys, but it is something else I'm interested in watching for. Um, spent a lot of time the last few weeks talking about this. Now we start to see if it's actually happening. What progress, if any, have Mati Sissoko and Pierre Brooks made?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, well, they both shown flashes, but has have they made up any ground in the last eight days or so between where they've been at and being a firmer part of the rotation? Because... I do think that particularly in Brooks's case. I mean, Motti's Marty, done enough that I I think if they needed him due to foul trouble or whatever to play like eight minutes instead of five, mm-hmm. he could do it. And you know, you'd you'd get some good stuff and you'd get some mistakes, and that would kind of be where it is. I, I I do hope for more consistency and more of the good stuff consistently from him. But Brooks, to me, is the one that could really be a difference maker because I still feel like especially when you consider there's always the possibility of injury of illness. We can't forget the COVID. that. Yeah. The
2: COVID's well, that's back what now. I mean. That's yeah. what I
1: mean. And, and then just given games where you might have foul trouble, I still feel like they are that one guy short in the rotation on the perimeter mm-hmm. of being in an ideal spot because as it stands, You've really only got two reserves for three spots without Brooks. You've got Jaden Akins, and then you've got A.J. Hogart. And both of those guys have done good things. They've both proven to play off the ball and on the ball. Um, so they're able to help there. But, man, I, I just think that would be a nice card to have if Pierre Brooks was even consistently, a, hey, five minutes a night. Uh-huh. Just a guy you can plug in there for a stretch or two and and get some decent minutes out of him. And I feel like he's shown the potential to be that. But obviously, MSU needs to see more consistency. He was playing some. And then I, I don't know if he played at all against Minnesota. I don't think he did. Yeah. And he just got cameo minutes against Penn State. So... That to me is the one I'm really interested in, but Madi as well. Those mm-hmm. are the two guys that, that maybe could take this from a nine man rotation, which is okay. To something where Izzo has just a little bit more flexibility.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Okay.
2: Well, we'll uh, end it there. This one's 7:30 uh, tomorrow on ESPN plus it says.
1: Yeah, that's correct welcome welcome to welcome to december
2: (laughs) yep all right until next time the final four is not on the schedule for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time there's granger